Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Steven Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 231, and today we'll be talking about OKKO. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So with Steven Universe apparently not seeing much action until fall this year, uh, we've decided to move on, and in addition to the new upcoming Lars of the Stars comics, we're going to be talking about the two big Steven Universe spin-off shows, so to speak. Craig of the Creek, made by Matt Burnett and Ben Levin, and mm-hmm. today, OKKO, OK made by Ian Jones-Cordy. Yeah, so OKKO OK is, um, I guess if you count Steven Universe as not a currently running show, uh, is currently probably my favorite running show on Cartoon Network. It is um, such an excellent combination of incredibly fun animation and um, really a, such a unique take on i guess the with what weight the writers hold the overall story versus individual episodes it is just amazing that the show can go as extreme with like being meta and like recognizing itself as a cartoon between like the let's watch the pilot episode and like your world is an illusion which are both just like so fun to watch and um somehow you know We'll watch them, and then the next episode, we don't have to worry about the implications of them. And at the same time, you know, from the beginning, we had, like, the image of the sub-sandwich, and you had that little arc of, you know, what was the past between Carol and and Mr. Gar and all that, and understanding Uh, points slowly. But one thing that that, with the whole little funny jazz thing they played in the sub-sandwich falling in the rain thing, is that felt like (laughs) one of those things that could have, in a Steven Universe world, been held out a lot longer a fallen hero <laughs> a lot of things come faster and uh you know even though some things like we don't exactly know what's next for like the glorbs or still what the relationship is between like uh the mysterious figure and ko yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna be completely real i i now fully expect there to be no connection between shadowy figure professor venomous and laser blast just because the connection seems so obvious, it this seems like the kind of show where they'd want to be like, ha, joke's on you, they're actually not related. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, okay, KO plays it so fast and loose that uh, I just love it. That, that's exactly the type of expectation you can have. And honestly, it's not like Mysterious Figure even has to be intimately connected with KO either. But um, I mean, we'll see. Dude loves Glorbs. Dude loves Glorbs. That was a good line. there's an interesting future with sort of where we've been left in the show where foxtails sort of express that point is supposed to be about power and meanwhile the villains are sort of we don't know how exactly well they're going to be executing a villainous plan currently because everyone's just having fun with mr gar but we'll see i mean not with mr gar with boxman the villains seem to be all about wealth yeah So, which weirdly, you know, which is worse, money or power? It seems like both are going to be evil institutions. But it seems like the people more interested in Glorbs than would really be Point. It's kind of weird that Point's protecting them. And yet it seems like with Foxtail's mission, well, maybe Foxtail would want to protect Glorbs because uh, she doesn't believe that people without power should, like, try to attain being a hero. So we'll see where that goes. That really seems to be her mindset. Her her mindset seems to be, let the supers run the show. You guys don't worry your pretty little heads. Yeah, so I mean, what if the Glorbs is something that turns into a 
you know, anyone could be powerful with the Glorbs. Yes, they need to be protected against villains, but also Point doesn't need to be protecting them just for themselves. That's something. But, you know, ultimately, the reason I keep coming back to OKKO isn't really any of those storylines. It's every other hilarious episode that just constantly introduces so many... uh, The the animation is so fast, so fluid, and always so surprising in what's going to be drawn next. You'd think you'd seen every exaggerated expression known to man, and still uh, (laughs) the way that uh, each character's eyes and mouth get stretched and like strewn across the screen. I just, I think that's probably what attracts me so much to OKKO and you just don't see it anywhere else on Cartoon Network right now, in my opinion. The show just, I mean, the plot lines are interesting, but for me, you know, they, they do have a good cast of characters that they keep developing very well. I love what they did with Red Action specifically. How they they had her her bully introduction and they had a good conclusion to her at the end of that episode and then how they tied her into Enid so nicely and then they introduced the Hugh troop and then used them very well in that future episode which was a very good time travel episode by the way excellent time travel I love how it was all explained I love how Ko's like wait <laughs> is this how this timeline thing works and uh, just the whole setup of it. And Enid's arc through it. That's exactly, whereas some 11 minute episodes of, you know, for instance, Steven Universe feel rushed. I feel like that episode and so many others just prove like that. Okay, KO is so good at that pace. Like this whole little complete story of defeating whatever those future robots are called. I don't know. It's so tight. Let's call them future trons. <laughs> yeah, they're like future trons. And apparently no one decided... No one tried, you know, just like hitting them with a fist, but <laughs> only using weapons yeah. from a distance. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, obviously the Mr. Gars of the future have too many bodegas to run. They got to sell those triple dip laser chips. <laughs> C- certainly, yeah. <laughs> Priorities. Priorities. I mean, you, you were mentioning before how meta the show can get, you know, calling itself out as a TV show. Reminds me of the series Garfield and Friends, which would have several episodes where Garfield would take you, you know, quote unquote, behind the scenes of the TV show where, you know, like he he walks off camera and there's like a TV set there and, you know, the network is trying to fire him, etc, etc. And most of the episodes of Garfield and Friends would just be, you know, it's just Garfield, you know, I, I, I guess they're canon, but like it's Garfield and Friends, it doesn't have a canon. Well, that's kind of a beautiful thing with OKKO is that the episodes can kind of be canon anyway. That like like what I said, the let's watch the pilot and your world is an illusion. But also, even though both of those episodes obviously, you know, take advantage of just the surprise of it being like ultra meta and straight up spilling out. This is a TV show and all the characters know they're in a TV show. There's a more of an emotional core to it than just that. Right. So actually having Let's Watch the Pilot connect the characters in a like really meaningful way that might even cause some people to tear up. And then having the sort of, you know, weirdly deep philosophical conclusion of your world is an illusion, which basically reminds the viewers that their world is sort of an illusion. And I just love the like quick gag of of KO just being like, what's the point of everything anyway? And it just zooms up to the corn god and he just goes. (laughs) which reminds you know maybe some people in the real world so i 
it's just it, it goes so much further than just even using a simple gag for a joke. And sometimes some episodes are more just jokes, but like it's crazy how tight the emotional core of the entire show is between the characters. And every time I still think they're developing the characters so much farther. Like what, the first season was like 52 episodes? Yeah, it was a big first season. Like Enid's whole backstory as a witch was actually really meaningful to her character that late on. And like that kind of stuff is still being developed out. Whereas, I don't know, you can see similar shows that don't have as meaningful continuing developments on their characters. I just feel like the relationship between Enid and Rad have developed in such interesting ways over time. And the characters haven't really become you know, straight stereotypes of themselves yet two seasons in. Yeah, I I like what they did with, I mean, they they just gradually built on the characters. Like you had the early episode, You Are Rad. Over the course of the episode, K.O. learned that, you know, Radicles has the softer side of Rad that he likes to hide. And, you know, K.O. comforts him. Yep, you're totally two-dimensional. You know, like, even though he knew he wasn't. But, you know, over time, they've had time to develop Rad from that cardboard cutout of a character that he started out as. You know, although I, I will say this in the, in the Genie episode, he kind of walked right into that one. <laughs> that was so great with starting one of those episodes with, you know, Enid fully explaining the rules and like everything could have yep. gone as planned. And so instead of it all being about a wish gone wrong, even though it is. It's just a whole court case between them yep. instead of just like watching an episode of the antics. Like that's the perfect twist. <laughs> that is something this show does. Now, I, I loved the the Rashomon joke because I was like, I'm like, is this a Rashomon episode? It seems like a Rashomon episode. And then, holy cow, it is a Rashomon episode. <laughs> and then, then he makes a Rashomon joke. And I'm like, oh, Wally, you made me laugh. <laughs> Call, calling back to, to Garfield and Friends again, there's an there's an episode called Yo Jumbo, where, you know, Garfield is being the eponymous Yo Jumbo. And then at one point he quips, I wonder if Toshiro ever had to deal with any of this. Toshiro, the actor in Yo Jimbo. Yes. The movie he's, his title was spoofing. Who would have known? So many connections between OKKO and <laughs> a Garfield animated series. I mean, via, via Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> I mean, let, let's just face it. I mean, Toshiro Mufune is a sheer joy to watch. Need to, need to watch more of his stuff. So in thinking about all those different characters that the show has had, you know, sometimes I think you look at a show like Adventure Time, where it has those um, episodes that maybe just feature a side character on its own, but really it's the only time it does that. And so some of the characters, you get a depth, but you don't get a breadth on all of those characters. I feel like we've had a pretty decent breadth on each character that gets included, even as the cast gets bigger. Who's one of your favorite characters in that mix that isn't just part of our main cast? I mean, as far as character development goes, I called out Red Action specifically because I think they developed her very nicely. But as for just my favorite side character, it has to be Mr. Logic. (laughs) Yeah. And he, I kind of liked his backstory. It was a little predictable, but it was... I mean, I'm still wondering how he got those clippers from his grandfather if, you know, that, that seems a little bit inconsistent to me. But OK, I, I guess I'll I guess I'll allow it. I like just the concept of this character that, you know, in, in some other contexts, a robot with scissors and hair could go really wrong. But he always gets it right. And there's no uh, there's never any tension that he's not going to do it perfectly. Yeah. So I think that's great. 
I mean, it does. It doesn't hurt that the episode that Mister Logic was introduced. I, I really love your everyone's sidekick. I, Red Action's first episode as well. Yeah, actually, just thinking about Red Action, kind of the characters related to Enid are all super interesting to me. Whether it's obviously part of the main cast, Rad, but also um, Elodie. I really enjoyed her arc earlier on, and then throughout the um, yes. point prep arc. I mean, she she was obviously not a one-and-done character. They introduced her very well. I was kind of surprised how long they held on to her. I, I thought they would have done a bit more with her sooner. But a good payoff, I think. Yeah, it's cool how she could have just been more of an internal rival or someone who, you know, either didn't learn her lesson or learned it in a way that felt shallow. But she, like, really realistically plays out on screen for kids, like, how you can go from... Just being, you know, the like motivations for why she would try to compete with Enid and be cruel and and then come to be a complete supportive person. And like, you know, even the complex, even though they're like friends and roommates, the complex relationship she has between her school and what she wants to achieve there and being as part of a special in-group and yet still fighting against it when the time's right. That's been really satisfying. Also, just her like over the topness and her British accent. All of her. <laughs> oh <laughs> yes, she is. She is beautiful. I I love when she and Enid have their you know dramatic intros in class together. And it's like, oh, it's almost like you're actually bitter rivals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a that was beautiful. Just it it was it was all great. And I love their teacher, by the way. I like her stalking the halls and <laughs> grabbing the grabbing the two students. Oh, so much to love. I mean, there are also some episodes I'm not so fond of if we if we want to get negative for just a second. Sure, maybe you'll help remind me of some episodes I don't like, because right now I'm like, every episode is fantastic. <laughs> okay, so like the ending of We've Got Fleas is weird. Okay, We've Got Fleas is an interesting episode to uh to start with. Yeah, and it's like, what, what, okay, I, I will say this though. Whatever the ending of that episode was, it came from a place of acceptance. Yeah, I mean, wait, so that episode just ends with them like staying as their animal forms though, right? Well, yeah, but you know, they, they obviously, I mean, if the show has such a thing as canon, then they can't be still those animals because, you know, they've gotten blasted so many times, those, the suits would have come off if they still had them, so. They, it's it's just like Radicles and the sandwich thing from the genie. He just got better off screen. Right, somehow. So is that, is it just that part that, I'm not remembering if there's something more it's crazy like just than the, just the that. Whole, the whole thing of all the skinnies is weird. Well, I mean, I get the parallel of that, you know, it's the just furry like, thing. For, for like furry acceptance. I think it's interesting that, you know, at one point, like in Steven Universe, it might have been controversial to talk about like LGBTQIA+. Plus issues and now we're at the point where like shows can go you know from the perspective of a way more like just completely not talked about community and just put that right in front of kids and already like subvert it in in a like really unique way to a point where i don't think kids would have any idea of what's going on which is actually perfect for just injecting an idea at them so that if later they're like in their teens and they're like why do i have this weird friend who puts on suits uh, then maybe they have this episode of reference to think about it from an empathetic light. You know, that's mm-hmm. something. 
I do admit it still is a culture that I don't fully understand. So during the episode, it was a little uncomfortable, but I think that's worthwhile to uh, to put in front of people. I don't know. Yeah. But the, but the, the other two episodes that I just part- have a kind of an- antipathy for are the Let's Not Be Skeletons episode and then the Black Friday episode. <laughs> uh, the lesson from the Black Friday episode is... The, the uh... Black Friday episode <laughs> is like... I'm pretty sure that what they were going for, well, I don't know what they were going for because they have Principal Claus be like proven wrong every time he says, oh yeah, this this is a wonderful thing about Black Friday. But, but then when you talk about the whole, oh, everybody, we should all, you know, go and be with our families. It's like, it is literally a one minute sale. By by deciding to take part in this, they sacrifice nothing. They, they could have, why? <laughs> yeah. It's just such a, it's just such a non-issue. And then the then the let's not be skeletons episode is like it is crazy over the top to the point where I feel like they made it so over the top that somebody who doesn't like gun control can look at it and think, "Oh, you know, that they side with me obviously because this is such a ridiculous caricature, you know, that that's completely unlike real life." Especially the part where the congressman listens to the constituent over the businessman burned. <laughs> yeah, I think that's okay. So this actually brings up another piece of OKKO, which is since it is not as heavily uh, plot dependent from episode to episode as Steven Universe, it means I actually have missed some episodes because Ooh, the like missed... need to like immediately watch. Like when I started watching it, I know I started from episode one, but there's somehow like I've definitely seen the episodes surrounding Let's Not Be Skeletons. I've seen okay dendy and i've seen action news oh okay dendy was beautiful yeah so i there's still episodes missing in my own canon but that's interesting did you you saw the hope this flies episode where they soup up rad's van right i think so also some things feel so distant when you're not doing podcast episodes every week this the cementation of of facts from the show kind of disappear this is like a solo experience that i've had for so long Yeah, there there are just some episodes that really stick with me. I I really loved Hope This Flies. I loved the, you know, do not attach red rocket to projectiles and, you know, Enid saying false, especially when Red says, I'm a smart boy. <laughs> it was just good stuff. I don't know how what you said triggered this, but I just have to repeat again that so many things give this show a unique character and just the whole sorry thing that nothing oh, else they grief. say is Canadian except for the word sorry is I, I just think that's hilarious and I wish there was an OKKO podcast to explain to us why they made that only that one choice and nothing else is Canadian except for the word sorry. <laughs> they do it to annoy me specifically. No one else, just me. <laughs> I just it's so cute every time. And the funny thing is that it just applies to everybody, whether they're you know, villainous or good or anywhere in between. If they say the word sorry, of course, it would be interesting. I Elodie probably wouldn't say it that way, but she probably has had to say the word sorry before. Maybe I should go back and figure out what she actually says. Mm. But I don't know this watching the pilot for I guess it was called Lakewood Plaza Turbo back then. The pilot was so good. I cannot believe it took them so long to pick it up. For a main show, I mean, and Mr. Jones Cordy must have had to like really fight to to get them to bring it back. I mean, they should have given it to him much more easily. I mean, I don't know why because it's like an action show featuring a little boy, 
So like that's like every single show that Cartoon Network's ever done. So you'd think it would be an instant sell. Nope. Plus aliens, superheroes, ninjas. What what can every kid not like? You know, it has winches too. It does have winches. The introduction of winches. Yeah, the the coining of the term winches. Okay, we have not even talked about the robots in this show. When we're talking about the fast and loose, I love the nature of the robots of Boxmore and their just ability to explode and reproduce. And it's sort of the same character, but weirdly, in another perspective, there's been like hundreds of, of Daryls and it's been a little disturbing. And there's so many great hundreds episodes of Daryls on them. screen. I everything about Daryl is great too. Just like him being Lord Cowboy Daryl for like a handful of episodes <laughs> without it really mattering or being significant. See, the beauty of it is with the Lord Cowboy Daryl, the whole point of him was that he would utterly ignore the protagonists. So like they, <laughs> they have a built-in excuse for why that changes nothing. I know. It's so good. And also I still think the strongest ship is uh between Rad and I just forgot her name. What they have that like secret romance for one episode. What's her name? Shannon. Yes, like, Shannon is so great. And, you know, just the slow rollout of additional, you know, quote, children for Boxmore is just so funny. I think, what's his name? Raymond is just probably my favorite just to see on screen because every (laughs) single one of his little dramatic intros really nails something about some vague anime character that I can't think of. Probably Jojo or something. Yeah, I mean, it just really fits like a trope, but it's like the perfect version of that trope. That's just a certain kind of drama. (laughs) He was so beautiful in Plaza Prom, too. Like, I I can just imagine that they started with the idea for Plaza Prom and decided we have to custom bake a robot just for this. He, He fits it just that well, that I would believe that if you told me. Yes. Also, each one of their, like, insecurities and their you know, faults is just like makes them so much more lovable and relatable. And uh, yeah, the robots, there was kind of an absence more of, you know, box more antics in season two. So I'm excited to see that ramp up for the future. Yeah, now that PV owns the factory. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like how Boxman won Fink over, but just by giving her this totally destructive machine. I, and now she loves him. <laughs> you know, there's another, if I had to pick a second favorite, I just love Mink mostly for her voice. Fink. Like, so adorable. And uh, I just want to see her talking and doing things all episode long. I loved the episode where uh, she was babysat. Or was she yes, babysitting? Yes, villain's night in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, seeing her again in the most recent episode driving around on, you know, whatever Lord Boxmore cooked up tricycle-wise was just so much fun. You know, and how they get blown up and Venomous is like, that's the most fun I've ever had. Yeah, I love that about the villains too. Like, he's just so completely good at what he does and is never challenged, which will be a real problem if he really has to face off with KO later. And now he's doing something that he's totally okay with failing at. Like, that's just such a... That's a thing you don't get to do normally with other types of villains in shows. Venomous is level negative seven. He would be really hard for KO to fight. Yeah. Also, how, you know, we've seen hero levels go pretty high, right? But it's kind of weird that he's pretty powerful. I guess he's just good at what he does, but maybe. have we? Well, who's the most negative villain we've seen? Negative seven doesn't seem that high. 
Uh, or alone. I think he is. I think he is the most powerful villain we've gotten an official level for. I can't think of anyone else. Wait, what about mysterious figure? Does he not have a power rating? Oh, he's negative eight, just like Laser Blast was positive eight. But I don't really. Again, I have a hard time viewing them as separate people. Yeah. But yeah, I'm like, and besides, a shadowy figure just loves Glorps. That's not. <laughs> that's not evil. That's not a crime. <laughs> he's convinced me. I don't even know. It sounds. Everyone should have access to Glorps. I mean, have we? So, what has actually taken advantage of Glorps? Like, was the I mean, Fink's collar had them? Robots use them as power sources. So, yeah, but is someone stealing them, or are those just hanging around? Like, does Boxmore? How is he powering robots with them? Yeah, we don't know. Uh, he's made references to they're hard to get, so I'm presuming there are more sources of Glorbs than just the one tree. Yeah, which, by the way, that one welded door does not seem that strong for, like, the force of the world's villains, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're kind of relying on most people don't know they're there. I loved how they had the the episode where, you know, oh, let's go on a, a, a scavenger hunt. Yeah, a scavenger hunt. And Ko's like, oh, the Glorb tree's in trouble. He's like, wait, you know about this? <laughs> yeah, that's another actually, uh, that's a great episode for being another differentiated thing from Steven Universe, where Steven Universe sort of plays out throughout its whole first season, uh, you know, Steven having things hidden from him and, uh, you know, the gems just trying to treat him like a kid and him sort of have to, to grow into a more mature role. Whereas here, Ko gets to be a six to eleven year old boy, but uh, but he still gets to be in on what's happening. Like he knew the whole time, but it's not more held out than that. Like every episode where Ko needs to know something, he gets to be in the know. And I really enjoyed how Steven Universe did it, and I think that was really impactful. I'm glad though too that Ko chose this direction, which just has him directly involved with what's happening, and his mom. You know, it's a much more like hopeful idea of just like she'll just explain it to him when she realizes that there's not really any good reason to treat him like an, a little baby. So even though he is her little baby, he gets to kind of be both. Yeah. So. Yep. A lot of good episodes. Looking looking forward to seeing more. I'm, I'm hoping that by the time the whole series is over and done with, we'll look back on that first 52 episode season and think of the first 52 episodes as the very early days of OKKO. OK yeah, that would be really cool. What is actually slotted right now? Are we, like, is there actually a roadmap for OKKO, or are we just completely in the dark right now? Hmm. I mean, as far as I know, we just know that, you know, there's more coming, but Cartoon Network is never really very clear about, I mean, I mean, heck, it took us a while to figure out that there was more Steven Universe coming. They just, you know, casually mention on a podcast that, oh yeah, you know, What's coming up is going to be very different from what's already existing. But, you know, if you read between the lines that they are saying that there's more Steven Universe coming, they just never say, oh, yeah, by the way, there's there's more Steven. They, they couldn't even come out and say that. Right. It seems too that like when Comic-Con rolls around, which is about as close as it gets to having for Cartoon Network to have like an annual reason to say things. I feel like Steven Universe always gets featured, but I never notice news about anything else. So it's kind of like. As far as when you look up something about OKKO, it's like, yeah, in 2017 in December, uh, Ian Jones Cordy said on Twitter that there's a second season. And that's kind of all we know. (laughs) It's just like, uh, well, maybe someone here on Wikipedia cited that there's going to be 40 episodes in the second season. And we're currently through like 25. 
But how those next 15 show up, I mean, is that going to take a year, two yeah. years? I, I don't know. I mean, we, we've gone a little bit without news of new episodes. They, uh, they, they put a, the most recent episode up on the app in December, but they haven't aired it on TV yet. The last time anything's been on TV was December 16th, and that was the Black Friday episode. One other thing, though, about the airing is that I have enjoyed that there is no, basically been no bomb format that I've noticed. Like, things just come out weekly yeah. when OKKO is running. And it just makes the experience so much more enjoyable. Especially, I, I've kind of followed OKKO more lax. So, you know, maybe a week or two will pass and I'll have two episodes to watch on the app. And, you know, I'll forget <laughs> when it airs and then there'll be a nice chunk. But I get to consume it, you know, on my own time instead of it being like, all right, five episodes are going to come out and then you're going to be in the dark again. It just feels like when the episodes are rolling, there's just a nice... They're just there and available. Yeah, it's it's nice to have a nice, consistent stream of new content rather than feast or famine. Right, and like you watch an episode and you're like, what's going to happen next? And you're like, I'll get to find out next week because they're currently airing. <laughs> it's <gasps> like, it's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Anyway, guys, that's been us doing a, a little overview of OKKO. Look out for us discussing specific OKKO episodes in the future. Until next week, though, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening.